Chapter Twenty Three of The Two Gun Man by Charles Alden Seltzer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Tom Penn. At the edge of the cottonwood. Ferguson strode into the manager's office and dropped heavily into a chair beside the desk. He was directly in front of the open door, and looking up, he could see the men down at the bunkhouse congregated around the bodies of Leviatt and Tucson. The end that he had been expecting for the past two days had come, had come as he knew it must come. He had not been trapped as they had trapped Rope Jones. When he had stood before Leviatt in front of the bunkhouse, he had noted the positions of the two men, had seen that they had expected him to walk squarely into the net that they had prepared for him. His lips curled a little, even now, over the thought that the two men had held him so cheaply. Well, they had learned differently, when too late. It was the end of things for them, and for him the end of his hopes. When he had drawn his guns, he had thought of merely wounding Leviatt, intending to allow the men of the outfit to apply to him the penalty that all convicted cattle thieves must suffer. But before that, he had hoped to induce Leviatt to throw some light upon the attempted murder of Ben Radford. However, Leviatt had spoiled all that when he had attempted to draw his weapon after he was wounded. He had given Ferguson no alternative. He had been forced to kill the only man who, he was convinced, could have given him any information about the shooting of Radford. And now, in spite of anything he might say to the contrary, Mary Radford, and even Ben himself, would always believe him guilty. He could not stay at Two Diamond now. He must get out of the country, back to the old life at the Lazy J, where, among his friends, he might finally forget. But he doubted much. Did men ever forget women they had loved? Some, perhaps, did. But he was certain that nothing, not even time, could dim the picture that was now in his mind. The hill in the flat, the girl sitting upon the rock beside him, her eyes illuminated with a soft, tender light, her breeze-blown hair, which he had kissed, which the sun-gods had kissed as, coming down from the mountains, they had bathed the hill with the golden light of the evening. He had thought then that nothing could prevent him from enjoying the happiness which that afternoon seemed to have promised. He had watched the sun sinking behind the mountains, secure in the thought that the morrow would bring him added happiness. But now there could be no tomorrow for him. Fifteen minutes later, Stafford entered the office to find the stray man still seated in the chair, his head bowed in his hands. He did not look up as the manager entered, and the latter stepped over to him and laid a friendly hand on his shoulder. "'I'm thanking you for what you've done for me,' he said." Ferguson rose, leaning one hand on the back of the chair upon which he had been sitting. The manager saw that deep lines had come into his face, that his eyes, always steady before, were restless and gleaming with an expression which seemed unfathomable. But he said nothing until the manager had seated himself beside the desk. Then he took a step and stood looking into Stafford's upturned face. I reckon I've done what I come here to do, he said grimly. I'm taking my time now. Stafford's face showed a sudden disappointment. Shucks, he returned, unable to keep the regret from his voice. Ain't things suited you here? 
The stray man grinned with straight lips. He could not let the manager know his secret. Things have suited me mighty well, he declared. I'm thanking you for having made things pleasant for me while I've been here. But I've done what I contracted to do, and there ain't anything more to keep me here. If you'll give me my time, I'll be going. Stafford looked up at him with a sly, significant smile. Why, he said, Leviatt told me you'd found something real interesting over on Bear Flat. Now I shouldn't think you'd want to run away from her. The stray man's lips whitened a little. I don't think Mary Radford is worrying about me, he said steadily. Well now, returned Stafford, serious again, then I reckon Leviatt had it wrong. I expect he had it wrong answered the stray man shortly. But Stafford did not yield. He had determined to keep the stray man at the two-diamond, and there were other arguments that he had not yet advanced, which might cause him to stay. He looked up again, his face wearing a thoughtful expression. "'I reckon you remember our contract?' he questioned. The stray man nodded. "'I was to find out who was stealing your cattle,' he said. Stafford smiled slightly. "'Correct,' he returned." You've showed me two thieves, but a while ago I heard you say there was two more. Our contract ain't fulfilled till you show me them, too, you reckon? The stray man drew a deep, resigned breath. I expect that's right, he admitted, but I told you where you can find them. All you gotta do is ride over there and catch them. Stafford's smile widened a little. Sure, he returned. That's all I gotta do, and I'm going to do it but I'm wanting my range boss to take charge of the outfit that's going over to catch him. Your range boss, said Ferguson, a flash of interest in his eyes. Why, your range boss ain't here any more. Stafford leaned forward, speaking seriously. I'm talking to my range boss right now, he said significantly. Ferguson started, and a tinge of slow color came into his face. He drew a deep breath and took a step forward. But suddenly he halted, his lips straightening again. I'm thanking you, he said slowly, but I'm leaving the two diamond. He drew himself up, looking on the instant more his old, indomitable self. I'm carrying out our contract, though, he added. If you're wanting me to go after them other two men, I ain't backing out. But you're taking charge of the outfit. I ain't going to be your range boss. An hour later, ten of the two diamond men accompanied by Stafford and the stray man, loped their horses out on the plains toward the river. It was a grim company on a grim mission, and the men forbore to joke as they rode through the dust and sunshine of the afternoon. Ferguson rode slightly in advance, silent, rigid in the saddle, not even speaking to Stafford, who rode near him. Half an hour after leaving the Two Diamond, they rode along the crest of a ridge of hills above Bear Flat, they had been riding here only a few minutes when Stafford, who had been watching the stray man, saw him start suddenly. The manager turned and followed the stray man's gaze. Standing on a porch in front of a cabin on the other side of the flat was a woman. She was watching them, her hands shading her eyes. Stafford saw the stray man suddenly dig his spurs into his pony's flanks, saw a queer pallor come over his face. Five minutes later, they had ridden down through a gully to the plains. Thereafter, even the hard-riding two diamond boys found it difficult to keep near the stray man. Something over two hours later, the two diamond outfit, headed by the stray man, 
clattered down into a little basin where Ferguson had seen the cabin two days before. As the two diamond men came to within a hundred feet of the cabin, two men, who had been at work in a small corral, suddenly dropped their branding irons and bolted toward the cabin. But before they had time to reach the door, the two diamond men had surrounded them, sitting grimly and silently in their saddles. Several of Stafford's men had drawn their weapons, but were now returning them to their holsters, for neither of the two men was armed. They stood within the grim circle, embarrassed, their heads bowed, their attitude revealing their shame at having been caught so easily. One of the men, a clear, steady-eyed fellow, laughed frankly. "'Well, we're plumb easy, ain't we, boys?' he said, looking around at the silent group. "'Corralled us without letting off a gun. That's what I call ridiculous.' You're right welcome, but maybe you wouldn't have had things so easy if we hadn't left our guns in the cabin, eh, Bill? He questioned, prodding the other man playfully in the ribs. But the other man did not laugh. He stood before them, his embarrassment gone, his eyes shifting and fearful. Shut up, you damn fool, he snarled. But the clear-eyed man gave no attention to this outburst. You're two diamond men, ain't you? he asked, looking full at Ferguson. The latter nodded, and the clear-eyed man continued. "'Knowed you right off,' he declared with a laugh. "'Leviatt pointed you out to me one day when you was riding right out yonder.' He jerked a thumb toward the distance. "'Leviatt told me about you. Wanted to try and plug you with his six, but decided you was too far away.' He laughed self-accusingly. "'If you'd been half an hour later, I reckon you wouldn't have proved your stock.' But we loafed a heap, and half that bunch ain't got our brand. We didn't need to look at no brand, declared Stafford grimly. The clear-eyed man started a little. Then he laughed. Then you must have got Leviatt in Tucson, he said. He turned to Ferguson. If Leviatt has been got, he said, it must have been you that got him. He told me he was running in with you some day. I kept telling him to be careful. Ferguson's eyelashes twitched a little. "'Thank you for the compliment,' he said. "Oh hell,' declared the man, sneering. "'I wasn't mushing none.' Stafford had made a sign to the men, and some of them dismounted and approached the two rustlers. The man who had profanely admonished the other to silence made some little resistance. But in the end he stood within the circle, his hands tied behind him. The clear-eyed man made no resistance seeming to regard the affair in the light of a huge joke. Once, while the two diamond men worked at his hands, he told them to be careful not to hurt him. I'm going to be hurt enough after a while, he added. There was nothing more to be done. The proof of guilt was before the two diamond men, in the shape of several calves in the small corral that still bore the two diamond brand. Several of the cows were still adorned with the two diamond earmark, and in addition to this, was Ferguson's evidence. Therefore the men's ponies were caught up, saddled, and the two men forced to mount. Then the entire company rode out of the little gully through which the two diamond outfit had entered, riding toward the cottonwood that skirted the river miles away. A little while before sunset, the cavalcade rode to the edge of the cottonwood. Stafford halted his pony and looked at Ferguson. But the stray man had seen enough tragedy for one day, and he shook his head, sitting gloomily in the saddle. "'I'm waiting here,' he said simply. "'There'll be enough in there to do it without me.' 
The clear-eyed man looked at him with a grim smile. Well, hell, he said. You ain't going in? His eyes lighted for an instant. I reckon you're plumb white, he declared. You ain't aiming to see any free show. I'm saying so long to you, returned Ferguson. You're game. A flash of admiration lighted his eyes. The clear-eyed man smiled enigmatically. I'm staying game, he declared grimly, without boast. And now I'm telling you something. Yesterday, Leviatt told me he shot Ben Radford. He said he'd lied to Ben about you and that he shot him so his sister would think you'd done it. You've been white, and so I'm squaring things for you. I'm wishing you luck. For an instant he sat in the saddle, watching a new color surge into the stray man's face. Then his pony was led away through a tangle of undergrowth at the edge of the cottonwood. When Ferguson looked again, the little company had ridden into the shadow, but Ferguson could make out the clear-eyed man, still erect in his saddle, still seeming to wear an air of unstudied nonchalance. For a moment longer Ferguson saw him, and then he was lost in the shadows. End of chapter 23